Let's pray. Father, you are aware of the, uh, the, the challenges that I'm up against as I consider this moment right now. So please come and do exceedingly and abundantly more than I can do right now. I, re- I really need your help. Grant us to know in this extraordinary prayer where to linger and where to move on. Please grant wisdom. Would you remind us of these truths that we know? It is good for us to be stirred up by way of reminder. In Jesus' name, amen. Anthony Burgess died in the year 1664. We don't know when he was born. You might guess he was a Puritan pastor. He ministered during the time of the English Civil War, pretty difficult time in some ways to be a Puritan pastor. He was an awfully sharp guy. He could have taught in a university setting, but chose the confines of a small pastorate in the British countryside, so many of them did in this day. Um, Burgess became known in the words of one biographer for his, quote, astute, warm, devotional writing. And he just did a first church. All of it got published years later after he went into the earth. But he served his church. And of the devotional writings that remain is one in particular. You ready for the title? 155 expository sermons on the whole 17th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. Let me say that again. 155 expository sermons on the whole 17th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. A Puritan sermon was commonly one to two hours in length. This dear man served up this little church 155 sermons that would have taken the better part of three years. And I plan to preach this chapter for about 35 minutes. Needless to say, John 17 is rich, rich, fair. You want a taste of what Burgess said? All right, listen to this. Seth read it for us. Burgess says about what Seth just read. The prayer of Christ is the ground and acceptance of all of our prayers. Our prayers, if not found in him, are provocations rather than appeasements. In other words, if we don't pray in Christ, we provoke God. Christ is the altar upon which all of our sacrifices of prayer are sanctified. And from hence, the incense of our prayers are perfumed so that God finds a sweet savor in them. Christ's blood and prayers cover our sins, even the sins in our prayers. End quote. 
the words of Anthony Burgess. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. Before we get to Jesus is praying, we might ask the question, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? I don't want to assume that we're all on the same page. What is a disciple? Well, from John 13 all the way to John 16, here are some of our answers. Disciples of Jesus are people on this planet who discern the convictions that anchored the Savior's service. Disciples of Jesus receive the cleansing for the stain of their sin that only Christ can provide. Disciples of Jesus understand that as students they are not above their teacher. Disciples of Jesus are aware that there's a very possibility, very real possibility for betrayal. Disciples of Jesus love other disciples of Jesus. They love them. They don't avoid them. They don't abandon them. They don't use them. They love them. And they love them awake to what prohibits Jesus' physical proximity. They love them toughened by the truth of Jesus' exclusivity. Disciples love disciples believing in the reality of Jesus' divinity. And disciples love other disciples indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. Moreover, disciples of Jesus progress in the faith. They possess maximum joy and they practice love toward other believers. And finally, disciples of Jesus Christ are born again, but they weren't born yesterday. Which means we aren't naive. Disciples of Jesus know that the bad news is, is that the world will hate them. But the good news is that Jesus has overcome the world. Disciples know that the bad news is, is that Jesus won't be back till the mission's complete. That's awkward. The good news is, is that the helper has come, the Holy Spirit. Finally, disciples know that the bad news is that some of Jesus' instructions are hard to understand and hard to obey. But the good news is that Jesus is able to make them plain to us and to empower those who ask him. That's what a disciple is. Now, if you were to say, I don't want to be a disciple. I just want to go to church here. To which I would say, how much would I have to hate you to just let you go to church here? I love you too much for that. Jesus loves you too much for that. The disciples of Jesus love you too much for that. So when you're a disciple of Jesus, it is your passion of your soul to make other disciples of Jesus. That's the Great Commission. It's the mission of our church, to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Could there be anything more encouraging than making a disciple of Jesus Christ? Could there be anything more encouraging? There is. There is. It could be. And here it is. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now, Jesus is praying. He's praying 
Notice the deliberate connection made by what John says in the first half of verse 1 in chapter 17. John writes, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven. In other words, all that he's just said about horizontal discipleship, what it looks like to his disciples, he's now going to, he's going to go vertical in chapter 17 so that he can pray all of this home for the guys that he's just been talking to. If you want to make disciples of Jesus, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying. Three points. Jesus is praying for himself. Jesus is praying for us. And Jesus is praying for them. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying. He's praying for himself. He's praying for us. He's praying for them. There is a broader theological issue that we're not going to really touch. The community group questions will get at it. And it's the idea of that Jesus is a priest. And his great work as a priest was to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross. But he's not done being a priest. In fact, his primary work right now is prayer. He's praying for himself, he's praying for us, and he's praying for them. First, Jesus is praying for himself. Did you notice how many times the word glory appears in the first five verses? Five times. Five times in five verses. So Jesus is praying. He's praying for himself. But what's he, what's he praying for? Hope you see it there. He is praying that he will be glorified by God. That's the content of his prayer. Jesus is praying for himself that he will be glorified by God. Now, why does that matter for our mission? What's the connection? Why should that encourage us? Here's why it matters. Jesus is praying that the very thing that we are after in our mission will indeed come to pass. You say, wait a minute, I thought our mission was to be and make disciples of Jesus. And what Jesus is praying for five times is that he'll be glorified by God. Are you sure? We have the same aim here? Aren't these two different missions? No, they are not. No, they are not. To glorify oneself is, is to what? We know what this is. To draw attention to yourself. To extol and exalt and elevate yourself. Uh, a word that has some street credibility in our culture would be the idea of becoming famous. Famous. Question. In our country, how do we know that someone is famous? How do we know when they are appreciated and admired by millions and millions? How do we know? How do we know for certain that an individual has captured the collective attention of our culture? You know how. Facebook fans. Twitter followers. T-shirts, blog post comments. But more than that, followers begin to look like this person and dress like this person and act like this person. Followers. You know what famous people in our country have? They have fan bases. They have followers. What's Jesus' prayer? That he will be glorified. What's our church's mission? To be and make disciples of Jesus. Are these one aim? Yes, they are. 
Jesus is praying this. Father, glorify your son that the son may glorify you as I glorified you on earth. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus is praying that our mission would be successful. So we say to be and make disciples of Jesus. And Jesus, picture this, is praying that it will be. Question, when God prays to God, does God get a yes from God? Every time. Jesus is all about the emerging vision of our church to lead people to Christ, to bring people from immaturity in Christ to maturity in Christ, to raise up leaders who reproduce themselves, to multiply community groups, and to plant churches. Jesus is praying that. As it brings him glory, glory of which he is so richly deserving, glory which when seen is so richly satisfying so that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if you want to make disciples of Jesus, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying that he will be glorified by God. Second point. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying for us. For us. What's he praying for us? Well, Seth read it for us. Verses 6 to 19. Now, I, I want to be candid that I, I realize that technically the first part of this prayer, like verses 6 to 19, Jesus is really, in, in John 17, is praying it for the 11 disciples present. We should all understand that. It's a prayer for them, his contemporaries. And we really, if you were to ask, where are 21st century Americans who love Jesus in this prayer? We're technically in verses 20 to 26, if you were to be, if you were to be there 1,988 years ago when this prayer was prayed. But I also see that if we are disciples of Jesus Christ here, today, on April 6, 2014, Jesus is praying for us. So we find ourselves in verses 16, 6 to 19. Does that make sense? We can very appropriately cast ourselves into the story right here and then just as easily place those whom we seek to influence in verses 20 and following. Jesus is praying for our church right now. What's he praying? We'll mention one truth and then two petitions. Okay. Here's the truth. Jesus is praying for us right now, having been selected by God. Just a parenthetical statement as we head into his petitions. We have been selected by God. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been selected by God. How did you become a Christian? You say, well, I chose to follow Jesus. Wrong. Wrong answer. Thank you for playing. We have some nice parting gifts for you. Try again. How did you become a Christian? Answer, God chose you. He chose you in love. He predestined you. You see, just minutes before Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer here in John 17, Jesus spoke the words of John 15, 16 over the guys that are listening. And this is what John 15, 16 says. If you are a disciple of Jesus today, listen to these words very carefully. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, 
but I chose you. One of my favorite hymns in, in church history is, My Lord, I did not choose you. No, that could never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. You say, well, it sure seems like I chose Jesus. And we're going to come around and say, you did. You did. You know you did. If you love Jesus, you chose him. I chose him. I sure hope you did, and I sure hope you do. But when push comes to shove, when it comes time to ask the question, where does the buck stop? Who goes first? Jesus goes first. The buck stops with God. Look at verse 6. Jesus tells his father that his disciples are those whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Notice verse 9. He didn't have to say this, but he did. Verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. See, Jesus is making a huge distinction here. It is stunning to realize how he's differentiating. Yes, in a broad sense, God loves the world. Believe your Bible. If you don't, if you don't believe God loves the world, John 3.16 has some news for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Nevertheless, John 15.21 says the son gives life to whom he will. John 6.44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And here in verse 6, we read that the Father gave some out of the world to the Son, and those are the ones whom the Son is praying for, not for the world. You get the sense that in the gospel, God doesn't just make salvation of the world a possibility generally. He makes it a reality particularly for the church. That's the flavor here. And if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that Jesus is praying for you, having been selected by God. Now, this links up with the first petition. Since we've been selected by God, Jesus is praying that we will be protected by God. Jesus is praying that we will be protected by God. What sort of protection? Well, let's find out. Um, verse, I'll, I'll start reading in the first, second half of verse 11. Through 16. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And three times we see Jesus' concern for keeping here and once for guarding. Uh, Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Verse 12, I have kept them in your name. Again, verse 12, I have guarded them, not one of them has been lost. And then 15, keep them from the evil one. Now, when God prays to God, God gets a yes from God. Protect, defend, keep, shield, shelter, safeguard us. From what? 
from suffering? No. Well, then, from relational pain? No. From criticism? Surely he would protect us from criticism. From making sinful mistakes? No. Safeguarded from what? From hell. From the devil. From total apostasy. From total falling away. Like who? Like Judas. Did you see verse 12? Look again. I've guarded them. Now one of them has been lost. Except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. There's even a plan for Judas. Didn't take Jesus off guard. He wasn't chosen. Jesus says in John 13, 18, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged because right now Jesus is praying for you because you've been, you've been selected by God. That means you'll be protected by God all the way home. You're going to heaven if you have been born again. If you have been born again. If he's chosen you, he will protect you. What's the application? Here's one application. Take risks. Roll the dice. Be wild for Jesus. Why not? The son is praying for you that it may be so. Anthony Burgess, our friend at the beginning of the sermon, said, It is impossible that a child of Christ's prayers and tears should perish. It is impossible. Okay? So go for broke. Take a risk. Take a relational risk this week. You will be protected by God. Furthermore, Jesus is praying that we will be sanctified by God. He's praying for us that that we will be sanctified, or disciples will be sanctified. First applied to the disciples in front of him, and by extension to us. We'll be sanctified by God. Just three verses here, verse 17 to 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Uh, Three times here in three verses, we see the word for sanctify. Once in verse 17 and twice in verse 19. Although the first instance in verse 19 is translated consecrate, it's the word for sanctify. I'm not sure why the translators of the ESV did a little switch. What's the upshot here? What's he asking for? What does sanctify mean? It means to make us holy. What does that mean? Make you just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Jesus doesn't just simply to want us to believe in his name. He wants us to have life in his name. Jesus Christ, just as he forgave you of sexual sin, he wants to free you from sexual sin. Jesus Christ didn't just come to forgive you of enslavement to alcohol. He wants to free you from enslavement. 
Jesus Christ didn't just come to forgive you of general selfishness. He came to free you from actual selfishness. And the key, of course, is his word. It's the word of God. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus says to John in John 8, verses 31 and 32, to a group of folks who said they believed, but they really didn't because they had stones in their hand. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's the issue in evangelical churches. We become spiritually constipated. Sorry for the image. But we become sermon-proof. Sermon-proof, sermon-proof, sermon-proof. We are better listeners than we are livers. And Jesus says, you will know the truth. He's not talking about what's upstairs here. He means know it experientially. If you are living in some sort of unconfessed sin and you claim to be a follower of Christ, here's here's what I know about you because I'm a lot like you. There comes a point in your life when what you know and what you have experienced have parted company. Jesus didn't forgive you to, to wear a badge of forgiveness and go on living the idolatrous life that you were before you said you knew Christ. Jesus has come to forgive you in order to free you that you would know the truth, know it, like Adam knew Eve. He didn't just know a few things about her. He knew Eve. Do you want to get clean? Let the word of God wash over you every day, scrubbing you clean from the stain of sin. Don't just come here on Sundays and get a bath once a week. You're going to stink too bad in between Sundays. Let Jesus wash you every day. That's his work. That's what priests do too. You know they do that? In the book of Exodus, they take the laver and they wash up. Let Jesus wash you every day. Ephesians 5.26 says that Jesus has a bride, the church, and his goal is to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. So if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged. He's praying for you that you'll be sanctified by God. You will have less indwelling sin in your life tomorrow than you have today. Finally, if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying for them. He's praying for them. First, that they will be one with us. That they will be one with us. Look with me at verses 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only. Now remember, he's talking to the 11, so now we're in the prayer, right? But because we're at that table, we're also a part of verses 6 to 19. He could either be talking about us, but he could just as easily be talking about people we want to influence, right? I don't pray for these only, for Mount Free Church, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you have a list of five? Next question. Are you praying for your list of five? Here's an encouraging thought. Jesus is. If, if they are his future disciples, Jesus is praying for them. Jesus is praying for your neighbors, family members, and your coworkers if they are his future disciples. That's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Don't ever stop praying for your list of five. Pray for the salvation of unbelievers. Jesus is. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin. Uh, Pray that God would draw them to Christ. Pray for open doors for evangelism. Pray that you would take an interest in your neighbors. They are fascinating. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Pray for courage that you wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Pray for clarity to explain the message simply. God, man, Christ, response. Pray for your tone that you would be gentle and respectful and wise and gracious and bold, courageous. Step to the plate and swing. And then pray for these opportunities to plant and water the seed, the seed of the word of God in people's lives and then trust God for the growth. Just trust him for the growth. The most miraculous things we cannot do. New birth, conviction, it's not, not in our hands. That's the work of the Spirit. Are you praying for these things? Jesus is. If you have future disciples on your list of five, be encouraged. Jesus is praying for them. Finally, Jesus is praying that they will all, we will all be one with God. Jesus is praying that we will all be one with God. Verses 24 to 26. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The last portion of this prayer is really rich. I got just kind of ran out of time this week. Maybe it was bad planning, but I, I saw so much more gold that I couldn't quarry out. And so leave, leave this with you to spend a little bit of time for, but time with. But um, maybe one, one question. You know, Jesus is praying that we, his, his current and future disciples, um, will be all one with God. When God prays to God, does God get a yes from God? Yeah. Jesus is praying for the unification of the whole church and the eventual glorification of his church. May that day be soon. The unification of his church. One church. In heaven it will be like, which church do you go to? The church. Right? you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that right now Jesus is praying for himself, for us, and for them. 
He's praying for himself that he'll be glorified by God. He's praying for us, having been selected, that we'd be protected and sanctified by God. And Jesus is praying for them as future disciples as well as us. And you know what? It worked. Because here we are, future disciples, current disciples, praying for future disciples. God got a yes from God that we will all be one with God. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus is the mediator between creator and us creatures. And that mediator offers a ransom, a payment, to cover the debt that your sin has accrued before a holy God. And if you want that debt canceled today, if you've come in feeling dirty and you want to walk away feeling clean, come to Jesus. You don't have to go anywhere. You can be right there and give him your heart. You can say what you're, about your sin, what he says, that it's awful and it separates you from God. And you don't live for God, you live for yourself. You don't even love for other people, you live for yourself. Ask him to forgive you. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you would never have to bear that penalty. Jesus loves his Father so much that he agreed freely to lay down his life for you so that the power of his life could be in you. Jesus has always been, among other things, a priest. He is the great high priest who appeared before God on our behalf to offer the sacrifice of himself for us. The crucifixion, which we celebrate in a couple of weeks, is really only one aspect of his priestly ministry. I would grant that it's the centerpiece of his priestly ministry. It, it is. But it's still only one aspect of what he does as a priest. The crucifixion is a perfect and completed act of love with ongoing effects. Hebrews 9.26 says that Christ appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.28 says that Christ was offered once, once, to bear the sins of many. And though the effects of his death are ongoing, the act of his death is finished complete and it's in the rear view. While it is true that Jesus' punishment for our sins is over, his prayer ministry for us as we sin is ongoing. And praise God for it. 700 years before Christ's birth, the prophet Isaiah put it this way. Isaiah 53, 12. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah said, Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Priest sacrificed, priest prays. Amen? Now let's be like Jesus. Let's be a kingdom of priests. Let's pray. This is priestly work, Lord Jesus, to pray. So we see in John 17 that you are a priest. It's unusual language for us Protestants. 
That's our problem. I pray that it would not be a problem. That we would happily, joyfully confess that we need a priest. And greater than any earthly priest, a high priest, a great high priest, sprinkled with his own blood, praying for us. Of course God gets a yes from God. So we not only leave in confidence and in faith knowing that you're going to get what you're asking for, but help us to imitate you. We could never imitate you in the sacrifice of atonement. We can't atone for our own sins. We happily gather around your cross there. But as we receive forgiveness, I pray that we would be like you in your suffering and that we would not love our own lives so much that we wouldn't bleed for people that we love. Lord, we're sending Guy and Brenda out to an area that's not very safe. They might bleed one day. Help us to think through that, to love like Jesus loves. It's okay to bleed. It's right. And not only to bleed, but to pray. So may we be a praying people so that everyone sees the engine of this church is God, not ingenuity, not slick planning, not special programs, but prayer and people ransomed by God. In Jesus' name, amen.